Hello and welcome to Sunday Night Conversations brought to you by D1Baseball.com. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Happy Sunday, everyone. I want to say a quick thank you to our presenting sponsor, Netting Pros. Netting Pros specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting and padding for college baseball programs all around the country. Next time your field or facility needs something new, whether that be netting, wall padding, L screens, or ball carts, make sure you check out our friends at Netting Pros. Can't wait to see these guys in Nashville at the convention, which is a month from now, which is crazy to think about. But again, we're so appreciative of the guys at Netting Pros. They're phenomenal. Their products and services are incredible. And want to encourage everyone to, to support them because they do. They love our sport. They love college baseball. And they are the best at what they do. Gentlemen, great to see you. Real quick for the uninitiated, this is year two of what we did last year called Fourth Coach Conversations. This year, we're just calling it Sunday Night conversations because it's we're targeting assistant coaches all across the country and we're really topic driven this year tonight is our second crack at pitcher development which is really a fun topic and a broad topic boys let me stop at that point and let's get into it so let's begin with this just to give us your bio bullet point us around where give us your name where you're at where you grew up where you played where you've coached your different stops and uh, let's start there tonight so coach glenn go ahead you kick us off Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Elliot Glenn. I'm the pitching coach at Fordham University in the Bronx, New York. Grew up in Southern California, Southern California, Long Beach to be exact. Went to Long Beach Wilson High School. Uh, graduated there in 2007 and ended up attending the University of Connecticut from 2008 to 2011. Played a couple of years professionally and then got right into coaching. My first job was in tw- fall of 2013, spring of 14 at Siena College for the legendary Coach Rossi. There's a lot of us out there on that coaching tree and a couple of us on this chat. <laughs> so 2014 at Siena. Then I had a chance to work for my pitching coach, Coach Justin Blood, who I consider a great mentor and one of my best friends at the University of Hartford from 2015 to 2019. The summer of 2019 took the job at Fordham and I've been there, I guess, technically four seasons, but really uh, three plus COVID. Coach Glenn, I got follow-up questions. I knew you were a Long Beach guy. I didn't know you were a Long Beach Wilson High guy. Did you play with Zach Wilson, who played at Arizona State? He's a little bit younger than you, maybe? I did. Zach's one year younger than me. So we had Zach on that team, and then Aaron Hicks was the same class as as Zach. Not to boast or brag, but we were the Baseball America National Champs in 2007. So we had a pretty pretty solid high school team. Who was a better high school hitter, Aaron Hicks or Zach Wilson? Oh, gosh. Put me on the spot. I'd probably give it to Zach in high school. Aaron was probably our best pitcher. Aaron was up to 97 in high school. You've seen the highlights. He was He's 105 from the outfield, rocket arm, switch hitter. But I'd say Zach was probably a more pure hitter at that time. Yeah, Zach Wilson, big recruit at Arizona State. Could have Literally could have gone anywhere he wanted. Beautiful right-handed stroke. It wasn't Aaron Hicks like a scratch golfer too. Like I've heard he's like just good at anything he chooses to. He still is a scratch golfer. I know he had won multiple state champion state amateur championships when he was 12 13 14 years old in the state of california and he actually didn't start playing baseball i think until he was about 14 either so just to see the kind of athlete hand-eye coordination that he had oh that's awesome and how about you coach glenn long beach kid so were you socal your whole life growing up until you went to uconn yeah, whole life grew up. My my dad is originally from the Northeast, so that's my tie ah. back to this region. And went to UConn in the fall of 07, and I'm still out here 15 years later. You be careful. I'm like you. I'm the opposite of you. I spent my first part of my life in Philadelphia, and if you're not careful, you'll end up having more years <laughs> on the West Coast. So make sure you keep that SoCal beach card somewhere handy. I'm trying my hardest. That's awesome. Coach Brown, go ahead. Yeah, Tim Brown, pitching coach, Ohio University, Athens, Ohio. Originally from Des Moines, Iowa, Southeastern Community College, Lindenwood University, way back in the NAIA days. Very average to probably below average playing career. Uh, not much not much there as far as pro ball or anything like that. I was elite at probably backing up bases. That would probably be <laughs> one of my claim to fame. But, but no, I got, got into coaching right away. And like Elliott, Siena College, first start or first stop. 
Tony Rossi gave me the opportunity like he has many others and uh, started there and just got right into it. From there, Coppin State, Mount St. Mary's, Mid-Atlantic area, George Washington University, Lincoln Memorial in Tennessee, University of South Carolina Upstate, Eastern Illinois, and then now at Ohio. So bounced around a little bit when I was younger, earlier on in the career, earlier on in my career, and just got to Ohio as a January hire this past year. And it goes by fast. This finished my 18th year, heading into 19 now, and here we are. So it's excited to be here, though. And, and again, thanks for having me on this, Mike. Yeah, you got it. So, Coach Brown, Des Moines, I didn't realize you were an Iowa guy. That's so yeah. awesome. There's so yes. many great Iowa people in our yes. sport. Did you grow up like an Iowa guy or Iowa State, or what was your go-to? You grew up in in the Midwest in the 80s, and your name's Tim Brown. It, I got to say I'm a Subway homer. Oh, nice. It's a team that I, that I grew up following, and neither of my parents have any affiliation to Iowa or Iowa State, and so I'm a bit of an outlier. So it, it's a free agent state for pro sports, and I never caught the uh, the Hawkeye or the Cyclone bug. But but no, I it, yeah, not not affiliated with either one of those programs. University of Northern Iowa State both had baseball. When I was growing up, Iowa State dropped it, I believe, it was right around either my senior year in high school or around that late 90s, early 2000s time. And then shortly thereafter, Northern Iowa dropped. And then so now Iowa's been the only game in town for a while now. Yeah, that's awesome. Last follow up on this topic. So you coach for Tony Rossi. You mentioned that Coach yes. Glenn, Coach Bill Salento, who we had a couple like a month ago. He's a Siena. Was Siena Saints? Is that right? Yes. Yep. So how did you get there? How did you get to Siena? How did you meet Coach Rossi? This was back when yeah, I knew I wanted to get into coaching, started wrapping my mind around that, the back half of college and certainly in my senior year. And, and that was when you, you checked the NCAA.org jobs website and, sure. and he had a position open at the time. It paid, I think, 3500 a year. And I emailed my resume to him and we had a couple of phone conversations, ended up getting the job on a Friday and was standing in uh, Loudonville, New York, Monday afternoon. And, and there we are. It, it really just happened fast. And like I said, it, it's the reason I'm here today. And he took a chance on, on me and as he's, again, as he's done for so many others. So really cool. You know, and yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Brady, you take it from there. Let's go, go you next. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mike. My name is Brady Ward. Grew up in small town, Southern Ohio, Jeffersonville, I'm currently the pitching coach at Moorhead State. This would be my third season with Coach Aoki down there. Played my time at Tiffin University. Got my start in baseball, actually, with Prep Baseball Report when I was still playing. A guy by the name of Chris Valentine, who's a pretty recognizable name in the baseball world, was took me on as an intern and then kept me on in a part-time role throughout the end of my playing career. And I think it was three days after I was done playing at Tiffin, I hit the recruiting trail and went and watched some junior college baseball as a graduate assistant. So it, it happens quick. And then from there, I was able to – I did some summer ball stuff with the Bo Jackson team out of Columbus. Got a Division One opportunity with Coach King at Dayton. Took a volunteer role there. And then quickly, like three months into it, followed a good friend of mine, Andy Pasco, to Western Illinois before COVID shut us down in 2020. And then right there in the heat of COVID, it was August, and Coach A had an opening at Moorhead State. A friend of ours, J.D. Heilman, got us in touch, had a couple phone conversations, and within about a seven-day time, I was heading to Kentucky. That's awesome. I was gonna, that was going to be my follow-up question is how did you get hooked up with Coach Aoki, who's awesome, but you that's through another awesome person, J.D. Heilman, who's incredible. Yeah. Was J.D. – he was at Cincinnati at the time? Yeah, J.D. was at Cincinnati, and COVID had just shut down everything in Illinois. So I had actually came back to Ohio and was with some buddies and even my parents from time to time. And was sitting at home one day, might have been fortunate enough to be on the golf course, and J.D. had called me and was like, hey, there's an opening at Moorhead State. And growing up, probably around two and a half hours from Moorhead, familiar with it. Didn't know Coach Aoki from Adam, to be quite mm -hmm. honest, but got us in touch. And Coach Aoki was like, hey, give me someone who's young and hungry and willing to do a little grunt work as much as coach baseball. And it, it's all lined up. Been a great experience. That's awesome. And did I hear you right? You started working for PBR Ohio when you were still playing? Yeah. So I was, that would have been my junior year of college, needed an internship, had known Chris Valentine through the summer ball ranks. He had coached a team called the Ohio Elite, tried out all this stuff. 
And so I reached out. I was like, hey, do you have any scouting internships, logistics, you name it? He's like, yeah, come on, whatever. Call it beginning of June, show up to an event. And four years later, I'm still finding time to go work these events from here and there, learn how future games, all these kind of high level prep events. And yeah, so it was really cool. It's a free lick at recruiting, if you want to call it, being able to put a kind of a price tag on a guy and evaluate talent at really young age for me with some people who obviously had a little more whiskers than I did at the time. Yeah, I just I think that's so brilliant, too, because it's so many of us were young in our career. And it's what Tim mentioned, you're trying to meet people and get a foot in the door and those types of things where people are recruiting, man, I think that's so smart to get yourself involved and connected with those people. And yeah, that's really good. Very cool. Man, we've had some great references already tonight. Well done, boys. Coach Glenn, let me come back to you. Elliot, I'm coming back to you. I'm, I got I get some random pitching questions for you guys. Let me do this one first. I'm always curious about this. Do you recruit feel and then train for velocity? Or would you prefer to recruit arm strength and then train for feel. And now I know that probably the answer is both, but let me phrase it this way. And I always think of it this way, like the West Coast schools, I think about Santa Barbara, Shane Bieber was throwing 85 a senior year in high school, like legitimately topping out at 85. Like that's a risky scholarship offer. He was a walk-on. But I think about schools like Texas Tech, where it seems like they recruit a ton of arm strength and then Matt Gardner is a magician at he'll get six or seven of them in the strike zone and just keep developing them that way. I mean, pro teams are like this, right? Some pro teams, they draft arm strength. The Guardians are kind of the opposite. So the scenario for you guys is like, hey, we're down to our last scholarship. These are two athletes who have incredible makeup. They check every other box, but one's more an arm strength guy that you're going to have to help with his feel. The other guy is more feel, but it's a low velo number. So Coach Glenn, and I'm just curious why you'd pick one or the other. Talk me through that. Go ahead, Elliot. You go first. Sure. Look for me, and I was more of a feel guy myself in terms of how I pitch. So that's probably going to be a question where depending on what your experiences are and what you're most comfortable dealing with. For me personally, I would rather have the feel over the stuff and by feel meaning Look, that's two, two, probably three pitches for strikes, the ability to command a fastball, put a put your fastball bottom of the zone, top of the zone, arm side, glove side. I think we can all we all see it at least a few times a year where that person beats us on the other side. <laughs> that guy that can really pitch yeah. and that guy that can understand his stuff beats us a few times a year. And I, I think pitching is a lot like golf too. You get better as you get older. You see it in the big leagues. The best guys in the big leagues are not the 23, 24 year olds. They're the 36, 37 year olds. And the guy you get when he's 18 is not going to be the guy that finishes when he's 21 or 22. Velocity comes from the strangest places. Sometimes you grow spurts, weight room, arm changes, arm action changes. I think it's really at least in my experiences, it's harder to teach the stuff velocity aspect more so than the ability to pitch. And I think you see it too with the pro ball side of things too. They might take some big arms, but you see some guys that, you know, the Biebers, for example, the guys that get taken in that 10th, 11th, 12th round that can really pitch, but for whatever reason they pop and that can be unexplained sometimes. So in my personal opinion, I would take the guy who has a little bit of feel for stuff in the zone over the probably over the arm. But that's how I was as a pitcher. So I'm a little more comfortable with that guy. Yeah. Would you ever let's say you recruit that Shane Bieber guy, Elliot, you consider not sending him out to pitch in the summer, assuming he got some innings in the spring just to work on the strength training or you want to keep pitching and just let the strength come as it's going to come? Yeah, I think that it depends. I think at least in the Northeast where pitching innings is a premium high school seasons are 20 games and you're pitching a lot in the summer. For us, it's almost more important that they go out and see hitters in the summertime, get game experience, fail, go through some learning curves, be around other coaches. If I was in Southern California and I had a kid who was playing a 45 game, 40, 45 game high school season, it might be more important to get in the weight room. I didn't get in the weight room in high school. We just played. We played all the time. Sure. But that may not be the same for a kid growing up in the Midwest or the Northeast. No, very fair. Coach Brown, same question. So you're down to your last scholarship. Is it get the arm strength guy? There is no wrong answer here. Get the arm strength guy and work on feel. Get the feel guy and work on strength and conditioning. I think 
to answer that question, you would first have to know the what the dynamic of your current staff is. Sure. For instance, if we have maybe 10 guys, let's say, that, that have a really high floor, have feel, have command, then maybe you can take a flyer on an arm strength guy. But I say that generally speaking, and maybe it's just by nature of some of the places I've been, limited scholarships, limited resources, we've always gravitated towards guys with high floors, which for me is feel. And I just think that's something that, again, so much about this game is just simply not beating yourself. And a lot of that does start with feel and command. Arm strength, guys, and it all goes down to the type of system you want to run, okay, and recruiting to that system. The analogy I give is if I'm an offensive coordinator in college and I want to run a spread offense and throw the ball a lot, I'm not going to go recruit an option quarterback out of high school. I'm going to recruit sure. someone that comes from a similar system that I want to run. Same thing when recruiting. Our system is predicated on limiting the walks per nine and playing offense on defense. So we're going to recruit to that system. And again, that's not saying we haven't had some success developing arm strength guys, but it is difficult to get them on the field early on in their career. And I think we would all agree that pitching a lot, mound time early in the career really accelerates development. And so to your point about college or a summer ball, Elliot, yeah, it's we want guys to be around that 50 to 75 inning mark every year. And the reality is if they don't get those innings in the spring, they got to learn how to get hitters out at this level. But it is, it's difficult to get those guys that, that spray it on the field consistently. And so Again, there are programs, like you said, Texas Tech. I know Kennesaw State back in the day was great at that. There's plenty of programs. They got something figured out that clearly I do not. But like I said, we've just always gravitated more towards guys with feel. And we feel pretty good about optimizing what they're capable of throughout their time here. And that's some of it too. And I know they say you can't coach a 95-mile-an-hour arm. You're 100% correct if you were to say that. But generally speaking, we've always felt pretty good after their time here with us that they're walking out that door and we've squeezed about every last drop out of them, whatever that looks like. And yep. it takes some time. We do develop some arm strength, but yeah, I think it starts with feel. And then once they build the arm strength, then, then you get a little bit more complete. Yeah. I like that phrase, low floor. That's a, or I guess yeah, technically high it'd be floor. high floor. Yeah. That's yeah. a, yeah, that's good. Very good. Brady, how about you? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think Coach Brown really touched on it. Obviously, with the 35, 27 scholarship spots and everything, you do have to look at the dynamic that's at hand. But off the top, I would say the feel comes into play right away because that guy usually impacts the game at a much higher clip. It's a freshman who you're willing to run out, in our case, on Tuesday nights against the bigger opponents, the Louisville's, the Kentucky's, West Virginia's, Power 5 schools that are notoriously top 25 programs. So... Feel is, to me, also a lot of times a guy being able to do something exceptionally. We get we live in such a velo craze and everything, but it's unbelievable how many guys who don't know how to dirt ball a slider or a curveball or understand what their stuff really does. So if you can get that guy that comes in as a freshman and has the ability to push and pull or spin at will and just be able to keep guys off balance and kind of work for most guys, two quadrants of the zone, north, south, east, west, kind of snake bite in some direction. It's hard to say you won't take that guy every day because it's just going to play. The arm strength, yeah, it's awesome. It's Everyone's going to want guys to walk through the door throwing in the mid-90s, but I do think it's harder for some guys to reel it in and get there at least in or around the zone. I listened to actually Coach Hobbs at Arkansas talking about accessing the strike zone, and if you get a guy with arm strength who can just – access the strike zone a little bit you take it from 17 to 19 to 21 inches of plate you might be working with if you're 95 but with that all being said it's probably feel for me seven out of seven days yeah yeah no that's awesome all right so good segue here coach Hobbs another great reference we're really dropping some great names tonight well done boys all-time favorite there hey so here's what I want to do this next question give me your favorite college pitcher of all time and it's probably, it could be someone you coached, but actually let's not have it be someone you coached. So your favorite college pitcher of all time, and tell me why. I'm going to give you guys Thomas Eshelman at Cal State Fullerton. He was there from 2011 to 2013. Thomas Eshelman won 28 games, which I know is an old-fashioned stat. 
but he walked 18 guys in three years. He had 18 walks. He had 28 wins. He had 10 more wins than walks. His junior year, he had 139 strikeouts and seven walks and 137 innings. And like, that's just, that's really neat. But think about the fearlessness in the strike zone you have to have. Because Thomas Eshelman did not have an 80 slider. He probably had a 50 breaking ball. He, his fastball clearly had properties, but he was just fearless throwing his heater into the strike zone. So, Elliot, I'll start with you. Favorite college pitcher of all time and why? Favorite college pitcher that I didn't coach. Man, could have been a teammate. This, you just you can't be a guy you have, coached. Could have been a teammate. Oh, man. All right, that makes it a little bit easier. I would say favorite college pitcher of all time would be Greg Napo. I played with Greg at the University of Connecticut from 08 to 11. We used to joke that Greg had the invisible fastball. He could throw, it was a one-pitch mix, and guys just could not seem to get a good swing off on it, could not square it up. He ended up having pitches at the end of his career, but he got by with 85 90% fastballs at 86 to 88, left-handed. Just had the ability to get in on righties, move it around the zone. He ended up he ended up pitching for Team Columbia in the World Baseball Classic in twenty, I want to say twenty seventeen. These years are starting to run together, but yeah, Greg Napa would be my uh, my guy. So when you guys were at UConn, the two thousand ten team, if I'm not mistaken, had set the school record for wins. But the two thousand eleven team was the team that won a regional and played South Carolina in the super regional. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And Greg ended up starting game. We ended up getting eliminated in two games. I think that South Carolina team won about 37 straight NCAA tournament games. So we were we were up against it a little bit. But Greg started game two. We actually had a 2-1 lead, I think, going into the eighth. And Greg was still Greg had started that game and went back out, I believe, for the seventh or the eighth inning. And Christian Walker finally got him for a two-run homer. And that kind of put a uh that put a nail in the coffin, and that was all she wrote for us. Yeah. But, yeah, we had a couple of good runs there. I love that because Greg Napo is a name that I really wasn't familiar with. Obviously, you guys had famous guys on those teams. Springer was a youngster on those teams, or is he came after? He's a – he's – I played with George. George is a year younger than myself. He was a 2000 – he would have been a senior in 2012. He was a junior in 2011. And Barnes was on those teams too, Matt Same, Barnes? Yeah. Yeah, Matt and George. And Nick Ahmed same. playing short? Yep. <laughs> Gosh, dang it. Yep. And Loaded, Elliot. And South Carolina didn't even have Jackie Bradley that weekend either. They didn't even need him. Oh, man. Christian Walker, if you needed one college at bat, man, that dude. Now, yeah, he's he, a Philly native, so I'm biased towards him. He but, was, man, he, he was, uh, He's still a tough out. Yes, he is. He had a huge year for the D-backs here. Oh, that's awesome. Greg Napo, cheers to you. That is excellent. Coach Brown, favorite college pitcher of all time? That's a tough question. I've been very fortunate to be in the opposite dugout of some really good ones. Matt Harvey, Brad Brock was was really fun to watch. Logan Gilbert a little bit more recently, but it, it's really a simple answer. Marcus Stroman, his draft year, his junior year was just phenomenal friday night duke he's hissing into our dugout man and he's <laughs> running it. it it was just i'm it, it was fun to watch it, it was hard to go through for our hitters but man he was just lights out you want to talk about just glove side command just putting it where you want it when you want it and he just we didn't feel so bad when i looked at the box score the next week when he punched i think 15 miami hurricanes the next week when they opened up conference but he just he ran through us like like very easily and it was it was one of the more memorable and one of the more fun games to watch even though we got beat pretty good it was just you appreciated what you were seeing at the time that's awesome. Was he hitting that weekend too? Was he a two-way player? No, he just, he no. Was just pitching yeah, they year. just had him on the mound. Yep. I want to say, what was that, 2011? Sounds about right. Or 12. Yeah. It was right around that time. Yeah, we had played the first two games of the series on Duke's campus, and then the Sunday game we went over to the Durham Bulls Stadium. That's when they were back and forth. I don't know if they still are, but but yeah, he was he was fierce. He was fun to watch. That's awesome. Very cool. Coach Ward, what are you going with? Who are you going with here? Yeah, so this is maybe an answer that you probably wouldn't expect, but there was a guy from near my hometown who pitched at Ohio State named Scott Lewis, left-handed arm. He ended up making it to the big leagues with Cleveland, actually. And 
dude was just really good. Same thing, a little more overpowering at that time. It was probably right there in the low 90s, but just unbelievable feel, come in, had a good change up, could spin it a little bit. And Scotty was really fun. And I remember being a kid, eight, nine years old, going to the high school field and watching him. And it was casual for Scotty to punch anywhere from 18 to 21 on a given night, just with the overpowering stuff. But the other one that kind of came to mind, and I've grown up a Cleveland fan, Zach Plesak was always right around the same age as me, but to do what he did at Ball State at the time and just the athlete that he is on the mound that still shows up on a daily basis. Plesak was really good with some punch-out stuff, and it can get pretty electric at times, no doubt, but I always admired Plesak. Yeah, and Ball State has had such an incredible run of arms. And how about, I remember meeting Chris Fetter when he was coaching for Coach Maloney there. Now he's the Detroit Tigers pitching coach. So, yeah, ball and Ball State's got another big prospect this year that just came up on our D1 Top 100. Oh, that's good. Good pull. Hey, boys, let's do this for round, next round. So, Elliot, I'm coming back to you. In today's pitching world, you got to be a learner, right? Like, it is moving fast. So my question for you guys is, like, where, what's a source that you love for information? Like, where are you getting fed? Like, I, I'm not as passionate about pitching as you guys are. I've listened to the Driveline podcast when those have popped up, those types of things. Is it something you're reading? Is it like a certain speaker that you like? Or So that's my question, Elliot, is what's a source? If I want to dive into pitching, what's a source that, that you really enjoy? That's a good question, too. And I would say, obviously, like you said at the beginning of this, reaching out and talking to other pitching coaches on the road and being able to have those conversations with guys. Even this past summer, I'm a little more reserved, a little quieter, so I'm never the one to really reach out and you know start those conversations. But Coach Marin at Old Dominion or Jamie Penzino at East Tennessee and Coach McCray at William Mary, those are guys this summer that I – even Coach Mamula, from who's now the head coach at Delaware, and he works with hitters just trying to pick their brain and understand what they're teaching their guys and what Coach Mams is teaching his hitters. I think that before giving any podcasts or books, I think that trying to learn from other coaches has probably been the most beneficial to me. And then for me, I'm a little outside the box, but I think an area that I'm trying to get better at and for us, we don't necessarily have the resource to go outside and have a consultant or anything like that is just listening to Brian Kane talking to coaches, really trying to find a way to to teach the mental game as well. Being a Southern California guy and growing up in the in the shadows of Blair Field and hearing the name Ken Revisa from a young age, that's an area that I've tried to become much better at incorporating with our guys and teaching ourselves. So I would say for me right now, just listening to Brian Kane and trying to pick up ways to get our guys better between the ears. Yep. Gosh, it's when we did the first pitching development talk earlier in the fall, so many of the guys said exactly what you just said there, Elliot, about the training environment, getting this stuff that's happening in the training environment to happen in a competitive environment can be really challenging and yeah, that's really good really good any like when you mentioned coach McCray or coach Penzino coach Marin anything like when you think of one pick one of those three guys when you think of them is there one aspect of pitching that really jumps out at you for any of those three guys I would say probably not one particular thing it's really just their ability to communicate with pitchers they do it they're really good communicators and I think that's an area that tends to get overlooked I think a coach Pinzino just making it a point of emphasis with free bases and honor ahead and three pitches and really being able to organize that and communicate it and make it a weapon for their pitchers really I think really what I'm what I feel like I'm hearing and I'm loving it too is like reverting back to some of the old school stuff of honor ahead and three pitches or yeah. limiting free bases and getting away from not getting away from but making those just as important as maybe some of the stuff that we're getting on the tech front which I think is great to be able to incorporate but at the end of the day you're not able to pitch in the game with that stuff in front of your face yep very fair coach brown yeah, I would say to piggyback on what Elliot said, Pierce, mm -hmm. we have several 
opportunities throughout the year when we recruit to to whether it's in between innings or games or just I know we're there to do a job and it's not a social event but that is a good opportunity to figure out or just communicate with other coaches and ask them maybe how they do things or certainly I watch other dugouts a lot when we play kind of what programs will do pre-game before before games and just picking the brains of coaches if I run into them later on that year when we're on the road. Outside of that, I try to make it to a couple professional development type events a year. Pitchapalooza this year was in San Diego. I went last year in Nashville. I've been down to the Texas Baseball Ranch a couple times. Florida Baseball, I guess it's the Florida Baseball Armory now. Been out to P360 a couple times. Uh, Dusty Blake's deal out there. And even too, more recently, because here's the deal. We want our players to be in a growth mindset. And I think it's important that we continue to be in a growth mindset as coaches. And the last thing I want to be is that guy that has my feet on my desk and hasn't opened up the pitching book in 20 years. And so, but the one thing I really try to be aware of is what our players are getting exposed, whether it's on social media, who's in their ear, who do they work with back home? Who do they follow on social media? I want to know what they're being exposed to. And I also want to learn a lot about the things that that maybe we don't do, the things that either I don't agree with or don't maybe know a lot about so that I can have an educated conversation with someone, whether it's a recruit or a player, when they ask the question uh, of whether or not we do something specifically. And I can't just say because we don't like it. I have to have an educated answer to that question. And so the obvious ones, they're Cressies of the world from a mindset standpoint. Yeah. Brian Kane's tremendous. Tim Kite, Alan Jager gets into a lot of that. Does a mm-hmm. tremendous job, obviously to pick the low hanging fruit on that one. But, and then again, from a, I reference, this is going to sound, you want to talk about old school. I still reference the mental ABCs of pitching a lot books. Yeah. Harvey you know, Dorfman, right? Yeah. It, even the books, The Obstacle is the Way, one of my former bosses bought me a copy of that. I'll reference some things like that, the fierce conversations and just how to communicate on understanding the back and forth of the communication. Because it's our job, obviously, to reach our players and communicate with them in a way that they understand. And so I know that might be off the, uh, a very no, unpopular answer, but books as well as anything else. And so I just, again... I, I want to stay in a growth mindset. I need to be a better coach tomorrow than I am today. And so I'll go anywhere to get it. I'm an open book too, almost probably to a fault. I don't think we've reinvented the wheel here at all. I'll share everything I got with anyone. We're not, I'm not that smart, first of all. (laughs) But uh, like I said, I I mean, there's, I don't want to just paint it into a box of peers or conventions or clinics or anything like that, but I'll try to get out and maybe go the un unconventional route. This year, it's going to be difficult for me to get to some conventions. I'm going to do a little bit more reading, some things that way. But like I said, you know, the good old fashioned way, just maybe calling up a coach that maybe I don't even know. It might give me a reason to call someone that that I don't know and ask them a question about something that they do. I know we're all busy, but I think generally speaking, it's, I would certainly take that call if someone wanted to ask me something. And I feel like it's like I said, just a lot of peer communication and searching mm. through social media is a great uh, resource too, believe it or not. And, and no there's question. some good, good content on there. Mm. And, and that's something that I've gotten a little bit more up to speed on in recent years too. Love it. Very cool. Coach Ward, go ahead. Where you, where, give, give us some sources where you're going to feed yourself some pitching knowledge. Yeah, I think Tim really hit it on the head when it comes to being able to familiarize yourself with really all the sources that are out there because my opinion is if the players have the chance to access that material, it's our obligation to at least understand it. when they come with you and say, Hey, I want to take summer. If we're giving a guy an opportunity to go train for the summer and he says, Hey, I'd like to go to Texas to the baseball ranch. I need to know what the ranch is going to look like. Is mm-hmm. that kid going to make its time, its money and a lot that goes into it. Is he going to go down there and get benefit from it? Or is he a guy that take that same money and go play summer ball and hopefully a premier league and stuff? If you looked at my YouTube search, you would see Rob Friedman. I think that the conversations he has with the big leaguers, I I was watching one the other night with Corbin Burns because we have a kid out of our bullpen who's got a pretty good cutter. And just being able to like, he can sit there and have that conversation or watch that video and it acts as if he's almost having that conversation with him. So being able to find player comps for guys, but Friedman takes 
some high level information and takes it a step further. Like he's so in detail to every, the smallest minute thing that he can. And those, once again, our guys spend probably, most people don't even have cable anymore, especially our college guys. They spend all their time on YouTube. So it's, here's your resources. Here's these people that are doing this to benefit you to spread their knowledge. And yeah, I think it's absolutely, it's good stuff, but familiarize yourself with as much as possible. And yeah, the kind of top ones, Alan Jagger, awesome. Driveline has a lot of great stuff. We even, we actually partnered with a facility here in Lexington this year that helps us go through some assessment stuff. It's called Performance Pitching Lab. Two guys, Chad Martin, Blake Perry, they both play professional baseball, good friends of mine. And it's conversations all the time, day to day. My guys are having conversations with them and saying, hey, what do you see? Just because it's leave ego at the door. I'll watch guys throw 2,500, 3,000 pitches over a year or a fall with bullpens and everything. If someone else can pick up on something I can't, let's use that source as much as possible. So it's all about the players at the end of the day and being able to have just as many sources readily available, I think is awesome. Yeah, I love that. Hey, let's do, gosh, that's good. That's so many segues off of that. Let's do this one. Give me, so I'm going to ask you guys to name a pitcher again, name a player. And this time I want it to be a pitcher development story that you were around or part of that, that really gets you excited. So a guy that started somewhere and through the, just developed, developed into something, a, a pretty special development story, whether you coach this player or you just were around this player. Elliot, you kick us off when you think about just an all-time favorite pitcher development story. Yeah, so I I wasn't around this guy his entire career, but I saw the, the early stages, and my guy is Carson Cross. Carson Cross was a freshman at UConn when I was a, when I was a senior, and um, to be fair, Carson redshirted the year in 2011 when I was a senior, so Carson didn't pitch one inning on that 2011 team. And his senior year, he ended up being the all-time, I believe, the all-time strikeout leader, and I think the AAC Pitcher of the Year in 2015 and now he coached in the brewers organization for a few years now he's running a facility up in new hampshire carson was a guy who loved to learn and loved to pick up things from other guys he was a tall 6'6 righty and didn't have a ton of had a good body and had a little bit of feel but the stuff fluctuated and the strike zone fluctuated a little bit for him and i would give that kid all the credit in the world in terms of being a lifelong learner and being a guy who really took his development and took the things that he learned from others into his own hands and turned himself into a draft pick and turned himself into a professional. So that would be my guy. Yeah. When you saw him when he was a redshirt freshman, your senior year, was it just your kind of vintage six, six guy who couldn't repeat anything? Yeah. Just really skinny needed to put on a lot of weight. I don't want to do Gar Carson any injustice here, but he had to be six, five, six, six, a hundred and 70 pounds 180 <laughs> pounds with just a string bean yeah so was a little bit weak yeah probably a little bit overwhelmed by the college game going from small town new hampshire to yukon where we had just put together a 48 win season and had all these guys that 2011 team was essentially that 2010 team coming back so he was his first fall he's facing george springer nick ahmed lj mazzilli guys yeah. who ended up being pretty good professionals so it could be he's some throwing, un, uh, unfriendly inter-squad yeah. environments. He's throwing strikes and getting giving up hits, and therefore he's afraid to be in the zone and starts nibbling, starts walking guys that yeah. that line that is uncomfortable for guys. He just found an identity and stuck to it. And just the story of being a learner and always finding ways to get better, whether it was between the ears, whether it was physically, whether it was stuff-wise, just always trying to find a way to get himself better without necessarily a coach having to hold his hand and take him along the journey. Yep, uh, really cool. Coach Brown, favorite pitcher development story? <sighs> there, there's a few. I'm, I might go, I'm going to pivot here and, and probably not go with maybe someone that I worked with that's played professionally, but there, there was a young man by the name of Kenny O'Brien when I believe I was in my third year at George Washington. And Kenny O'Brien actually went to Fordham Prep. Uh, from the Bronx. And he showed up on our campus and was a straight like tryout walk on. And yeah, he was long and lean, ran about probably six, four, six, five. He was left-handed. 
And he was, a, I guess, maybe a 78 to 80 mile an hour left-handed pitcher with very below average. And he got beat around pretty good in the fall. So we were getting to the point where we were probably going to let him go and see maybe if he wanted to be a manager or whatever the case was. And we're down in the bullpen one day and I just, I threw out the idea of him dropping down and going submarine. And he did. And four years later, I believe to this day, even I'm not sure it's been a while since I've checked, but he actually broke the career appearance record at George Washington throughout his four years. He led our wow. team in appearances that year. Later on, we got him to the point where he could go Michael Roth and it popped back up over the top every once in a while and just a rubber arm. And it was almost having a position player from the, in terms of the volume of games that he played, he was upwards, I think. His second year, he was pushing 30 appearances. Oh, we'd, we'd just run him out there. And so that's pretty cool. And at the time, George Washington was the most expensive school in the country. And so he's there. He's not on a baseball scholarship. We eventually put him on scholarship, but he just showed up. And it, it was just a, it was the coolest thing to sit back and watch that. And he took to the submarine thing and embraced it and put a chokehold around it and ran with it, man. And that was that, that, that was a really cool, cool experience for him. And, and he got to play four years of some pretty high-level college baseball and got a pretty good degree out of it. And I think that's uh, that, that's one that definitely jumps out the pay, off the page to me. Oh, that's awesome. Love the drop-down stories. Really yeah. cool. Coach Ward, go ahead. Yeah, I think this one hits home, and it's definitely one that we have a boy left-handed arm on our staff right now named John Bakke. And I would say if you ask anyone around the OVC, he's easily one of the best arms that the conference has to offer. But I don't say this because I've taken part in it, but the underlying path that just comes out naturally from conversation with the kid. It was a couple of weeks ago we were talking. His freshman year comes in, same thing, high-level student, honors program, into fall, do rankings, and he ranks himself 18th out of 18th. It's 80 to 83, maybe 84, spraying it, the breaking ball's slow. But there's still signs because it, it's 6'3", it's broad shoulders, it, it's a good-looking kid. But there has always been a level of tenacity, and, and he was telling me the funniest part, the coaching staff at the time, Coach McGuire, they told him, they are like, hey, we understand that you ranked yourself 18th, but your teammates actually had you at 17th. So, you know, it's kind of a win in his book right there. But this is a kid who he, he redshirts his freshman year. His second year does not get much, if any, innings at all. His third year, he's ready to pop onto the scene and had still been going through some command issues and stuff, but got super intentional with his training and never lost this kind of edge that he just he walks around with. He takes in his daily life, and whether it's the long toss, the catch play, but gets an opportunity during COVID and then. COVID does exactly that and cuts it short. And coming out of COVID, same thing. Coach Aoki's second year, he's talking to me. He's we got this guy. He's a good arm, but we don't really know how he falls and has just developed into a really premier arm and a guy that, like, when you see him out there on any stage, he's going to fit in and excel. Like, it's just a guy who carries himself the right way. He's not backing down from anyone. And uh, now that guy that was 80-82 his freshman year who went through a, a major back injury is – 88 to 91 and probably even higher at times with a fastball that seems to beat some of the best hitters college baseball has to offer and just a guy that got really intentional in his own development like this isn't supposed to be a story of someone gave him this magic water and was like hey this is what it's going to take he just stuck to it and with adversity and like I said just a level of tenacity that's unmatched and just wears it on his chest. But yeah, kid who's had an awesome college career gets one more crack at it. And then hopefully someone's able to give him the opportunity beyond this. Not that this is a promotional campaign or anything, but it's something that it would be the icing on top of the cake for a guy like that who over six, seven year time span is put in the work. Oh, that's really cool. What, what? It's one of the great expressions in the history of mankind. Work works. It's like there's no substitute for that. Hey, let's do one more potentially. So, Elliot, I'm going to come back to you. So this is a broad question. You can go anywhere you want with it. But when you think about some of the more modern things that we have in pitching today, rap soto, spin rates, all that, there, there's so much more video available. What, where You can go. It's a broad topic for this kind of like 
data, analytics, weighted balls, wherever you want to go. What's a, what's your favorite? What's your, is it Rapsodo? Is it spin rates? Is it the weighted balls? What name? I'm looking for one of the modern concepts in pitching development that, you, that really resonates for you. For us and for me, I think they all have their place. Rapsodo, I think, has really been beneficial for our guys in, the, in that training setting, in that bullpen setting. We've been lucky enough to have TrackMan, which has been awesome to really see it play out in games and how stuff is playing against hitters. We've also been able, I'd like to give a little shout out. We had, we have a director of analytics, Connor Dwyer, who actually just nice. a, uh, just took a job in the front office with the Houston Astros. Oh man. We're going to be, we're going to be without him this season. I don't know what I'm going to do. And for me, it's really, and working with him and having him at my side and he's been a lifelong learner and someone that wasn't great at these things to be, to start, but just taught himself how to really break this stuff down and being able to use that stuff and then communicate with our players. Hey, here's who you are. Here's where we want you to get to. Here's how we're going to do it. And that's really been awesome for us. I think in terms of some things that I really like, and I may go off the high tech stuff. I don't know if I'm allowed to give shout outs, but go for it. We partnered with Armored Heat this fall for the first time. And I don't know if that's really high tech, but those guys being able to work with them in terms of arm care and pre-throw routines, those guys, we didn't have one guy this fall miss an inning, miss an outing due to any soreness, any injury. Being able to, you don't know what you don't know. I'm not, you know, we, most of us got into this business because we, we love baseball and we love working with pitchers, but You've got to be able to keep them healthy. You've got to mm-hmm. be able to organize their conditioning. And here's what you need to do before. And here's what you need to do after. And being able to talk to people who really know those things and are experts in that area, those areas has been a game changer for me and a game changer for our program. But to bring it back really with the Rap Soto and the TrackMan, being able to have people in place to, to teach me first and foremost, but being able to communicate to our guys Here's what you're good at. Here's what we think you can get better at. And here's how we're going to get there. Yeah, that's huge. Very cool. Go ahead, Coach Brown. Same question, broad topic. Go wherever you want with it. It's funny you ask this because we finished up our first semester and I'm outside and I'm looking at our bullpen and I see a connection ball, a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, a PVC pipe, a rap soto, two <laughs> body blades, bands all over the place. And the modern day bullpen has changed quite a bit in in my time in doing this. But in all seriousness, I, I try to quantify as much as I can for them because I know my perception's flawed. We know perception's flawed. Math's not flawed. Okay, so whether it is technology on the rap soda, if I'm telling a pitcher he's dropping his hand or his arm slot on a changeup off of his fastball, well, we can go to technology and we can show him that his release height on his fastball is five foot or five six, and his release height on his changeups five one. Okay, so we can quantify that. That takes my opinion out of it. Excel, we keep a running total from all of our scrimmages, and I send it to him every week and we keep a base a base some statistics on our scrimmages on our preseason scrimmages and so again we've tracked data from the minute they walked in the door in the fall till the end of the year so again we're taking my opinion out of it the other one i we, we track bullpen spot percentages of so the coach dave sports.com hoop count clickers so they walk off the bullpen mound every time they know what their spot percentage was whatever regardless of what type of bullpen that we're doing that day the biggest one for me, though, to tie a bow on it would be synergy on two fronts. Not only does it allow us to scout our opponents, okay, but it also allows us to self-scout and develop that way. And so once we get into the season, we get some synergy going there. I always go back on Mondays or as soon as it's up, I'll look at it. I'll send it to our players. I have an eval I send to our players, and I send the game chart to our players. They watch the film. They look at the chart. They fill out the eval. We have a discussion early in the week, and then that kind of maps out what their side sessions are going to look like for the week. Synergy for me is one that really allows us to deep dive not only into our opponents, and it's a rabbit hole. You got to be careful. I think that really allows us to self-scout too and and develop through that. Yeah, that's a great call on Synergy. Yeah, really good, really good. Coach Ward, go ahead. 
Yeah, it's funny. I think I'm sitting here hoping that some of these answers don't get discussed before it gets to me. But <laughs> it, like right off the top of my head, I would have said synergy. Absolutely. Yeah. For that exact reason, the self-scout and being able to readily available 24, 48 hours after you're done in prep for the next opponent to be able to lay out right to a guy. This is where we weren't good. This is where we were really good. This is where mm-hmm. we've been good over our career. This is where we haven't been good over a career, just a next level type evaluation that you can give to him. And it doesn't lie, right? There's a guy sitting there intentionally charting. He has the velocities. You can see the peaks, you can see the valleys and just what it looks like from anywhere from February to May or June. Then another big part of this that, I think probably the majority of college baseball has dove into is the on-base U or what I think started as like TPI, the Titleist Performance Indicator, and that kind of physical assessment of our pitchers and being able to coach guys on what they do well and what their body allows them to do as opposed to sitting here and asking guys like, hey, I need you to get into a deeper hinge. And physically, they're never going to be able to do that. So not only is it frustrating for the player, but it's frustrating for me who sits there and is trying to beat a dead horse that's just never, it's never going to work for him. So being able to collect some data and start to attack that, whether it's with some corrective exercises, communicate with our weight room coach or strength coach and be able to say, hey, we got to work more rotational or explosion just on all different fronts but anything of that nature. And it also is a really good indicator of where guys are at when it comes to injuries. So we also partnered with Armored Heat and used that with all of our pre-throw, post-throw. But if we find out that some guys are so limited physically, they maybe shouldn't be the guys picking up weighted balls all the time and throwing the heavier baseballs or plyos and adjusting their workload accordingly. So it's a lot. It's a cafeteria menu that you get to shape and give to each guy individually that hopefully fits them and benefits them to the best of their ability. And it's ever changing, right? You have all these resources, but the way that your senior looks is going to be completely different from your freshman. And yeah, it's all part of the process. Oh, that's awesome. Some great answers. We've come a long way from bullpens only having just the string of rubber bands uh, across the bottom of the zone. Although I am pro rubber bands, but maybe there's probably some a more modern solution to that. Oh man. Gentlemen, well done. That was so great. We have, we've burned through our hour. That was super awesome. And of course I've got five questions still left in my holster, but I appreciate it. You guys were great. This was really fun. Man, there's Pitching has changed so much. It's modernized itself so much in the last 25 years. We could talk for 20 hours on this, but I appreciate your guys' insights. This was great. And yeah, this this was fun. We will continue this conversation in Nashville at the convention or wherever we see each other, but really good stuff. want to say thanks again to our friends at Netting Pros for making this possible. We've got one more show next week, and then we will shut it down for the fall and looking forward to seeing everyone at the ABCA convention in Nashville. That is it. Everyone have a great week. We will catch you next Sunday night. Thanks, Mike. Got it. Thank you. Thanks a lot.